All right. Um, so uh, we're, we're going to start uh, the testimonies this morning with Ron Sloan. Well, good morning. I'm Ron Sloan, as he said. Um, I've had the pleasure of meeting a number of you, quite a number of you, and I'd like to meet the rest in due course. So if you see me walking around and want to come say hi, I'd love to meet you. Um, before I get into uh, the main uh, topic here, what I'd like to do is just say uh, I've been playing uh, drums with a, with a worship band here for these past several months, and I want to say it's been a a real privilege. Um, these guys are great. It's a great little band. A couple of them are missing this morning, Leah and uh, uh, Dean on bass, but uh, these guys are fabulous. I've, I've, over the years, I've played with a lot of top-shelf musicians, and uh, some of them are pretty famous, but these guys, they're right up there with them. So. My wife Barbara and I have been blessed with two beautiful daughters. My older daughter, Catherine, whom we call Katie, is a hardworking nurse who lives locally and has on occasion worshipped here at St. Paul's. She has her mom's good looks and her dad's sense of humor. Unfortunately, she's been working second shift and typically doesn't get home till about 2 or 3 in the mornings, which makes it kind of hard for her to get here on Sunday and still get her much-needed rest. But this morning, I'm here to tell you about my younger daughter, Elizabeth, who we call Ellie. Ellie came into the world on May 24, 1992 at Manchester Memorial Hospital. We had quite a scare when she was just a day or two old. My wife was holding her in the hospital bed when she suddenly stopped breathing. My wife, who is also a registered nurse, alertly began infant CPR and summoned help. Ellie was rushed to the newborn intensive care unit of the Yukon Dempsey Hospital in Farmington, where she spent the first two weeks of her life. She had some kind of respiratory issue, but thankfully she recovered fully. Ellie's early childhood was fairly typical. She did well in school, a smart kid who excelled in the arts. I remember one time, she couldn't have been more, four or five years old, we were sitting on the couch watching television and a commercial came on. And the commercial had a little jingle. And as I'm sitting there, I look over and I hear Ellie singing a perfect harmony to the, harmony to the jingle's melody. Kind of blew me away. She played piano. She also became a competitive Irish step dancer and won a closet full of trophies, did karate, played basketball, which she was not particularly good at. Uh, I read her Bible stories at bedtime. She prayed with, I prayed with her and her sister. And it took her to church and Sunday school. I should tell you that my wife knows and loves the Lord, but is also devoutly Roman Catholic. And while we certainly have our doctrinal differences, and we drive off in two different directions on Sunday morning, we do agree on the crux or core of the gospel. She insisted that our children be raised Roman Catholic and go through First Communion and so forth. 
But more often than not, the girls were allowed to go with me to Trinity Covenant Church in Manchester. I'm happy to say that both of my girls professed faith in Jesus at an early age. Ellie was uh, generally the more quiet of the two. Katie was, I would say, a bit more mischievous, and both could be a little emotionally volatile at times, but I guess that goes with raising girls. Everything seemed to be going pretty well in Ellie's life until about the age of nine when she developed uh, mysterious stomach aches. We took her to various doctors, specialists who could not find a physical problem. She began to lose weight, and she started cutting herself. Having ruled out a physical cause for her stomach ailments, we took her to family therapist and we took her to a psychiatrist, some of whom prescribed drugs. And to be honest, the next several years are kind of a blur to me now. All I can tell you is we left no stone unturned trying to help her. And of course, dealing with insurance companies often tried by patients. Somewhere along the line, it was finally determined that Ellie was suffering from an entrenched eating disorder, anorexia, bulimia, and another one labeled unspecified. In those years, she was a patient at many eating disorder facilities and psych hospitals from Boston to Philadelphia. We would seem to find a glimmer of hope every now and then, but in the end, none of them were able to make any appreciable headway. She was rejected by other programs who said she was either too sick or not sick enough to be their patient. I knew nothing about eating disorders beyond the fact that it had claimed the life of one of the prettiest voices in pop music of my day, Karen Carpenter. But I quickly learned how common eating disorders are among young women. Perhaps some of you have had or know of someone who's had an eating disorder. To me, they were a total mystery and trying to get help for my kid was utterly frustrating. When she was home, we had to lock food in separate refrigerators and foot lockers because she would get up in the middle of the night and binge and purge. Meanwhile, she became increasingly emaciated. When she was up to it, we would still do father and daughter outings, hiking, kayaking, and long talks. Ellie missed a lot of time from school, but much to her credit, she was able to not only graduate with high honors from high school, but do well on her SATs and gained admission to Central Connecticut State University, despite being as sick as she was. To give you an idea of how determined this kid was, on the way to take her SATs, my wife lost control of her car on black ice, slamming sideways into a guardrail and totaling the car. By the time I rushed to the scene, my wife had checked her out and determined she wasn't injured, although she had missed a small cut beneath her hairline where she had banged her head. Ellie jumped into my truck and insisted we continue on to the SAT testing. We did, and she did quite well. More important than all that is how along the way, despite often not feeling well, she had developed a tremendous heart for others with a special concern for the homeless, the marginalized in society. She volunteered at a local soup kitchen. She'd find forlorn people and chat them up, often sharing the gospel. And she was active in a solid Bible-believing fellowship near her apartment in New Britain. I found her heart for others in spite of her own struggle truly inspiring.
Late one Wednesday night in March of 2014, my doorbell rang, and there were two police officers at the door. They asked if they could come in, and if they could sit down with my wife and I. My mind raced, my pulse quickened. A vague sense of dread came over both of us. The policeman told us that Ellie had died in her sleep that night. Her body had just given out. Essentially, she had simply starved herself to death. Barbara exploded in hysterical sobbing. My heart sank through the floor, but I jumped to my feet and went to console her. Shocked and stunned, something that we knew in our rational minds was a possibility, but hadn't want to consider, had happened. When she had composed herself, Barb called her elderly priest. I was impressed that despite the late hour, the priest came right over. I looked out to see him shuffling up our icy driveway, wearing his vestments and clutching rosary beads. I was somewhat less impressed, however, when he came into the house. He kept repeating this one phrase, we're all in God's hands. Well, that's certainly true. I remember thinking, that's all you got? He then went to work with the beads, repeating a seemingly endless string of Hail Marys. As unimpressed as I was, it seemed to do a great deal of good for my wife, and that's what mattered. The next morning, we drove to my older daughter's apartment and broke the news to her. That was perhaps the hardest thing I've ever had to do. We then met with Pastor Phil Hackinson at his office, and I don't remember a thing he said that day, but his words were soothing, and he prayed with us. For the next several days, we were running on adrenaline, making funeral arrangements, selecting a casket, etc. In her short 21 years, Elliot touched a lot of lives. Something on the order of 719 people attended her wake. Many more later told me they couldn't find parking anywhere near the funeral home. Still more condolences came in from various points across the country. Barb quickly enrolled us in a biblically-based support group called Grief Share. My wife seemed to get a lot out of it. Personally, I slept through a good deal of it. Somehow, I don't think I was ready for it. The day Ellie passed was <clears throat> the worst day of my life, and it affects me to this day. Outliving one's child is against the natural order of things. Our kids are supposed to bury us, right? I don't imagine I'll ever fully recover from losing my little girl. I'm, I'm the only one in my immediate family who hasn't taken antidepressants. <laughs> Maybe it's my Scottish heritage, but I'm generally pretty stoic. But sometimes the sorrow is debilitating. Um, if I have occasion to go into her former room, which had remained pretty much untouched after she passed, just waves of sadness would come over me or when I'm driving past the cemetery and I think about things that might have been and never will be high school dances, proms, weddings but my faith in God has helped me through these past eight years I can scarcely imagine how awful it would be if I didn't have his assurance First and foremost is the fact that I know Ellie is with the Lord. She had a deep, abiding faith and loved Jesus. I have a sure and certain knowledge that she is in heaven with him. 
When I pray, I sometimes ask him to give her a hug for me. I have wondered, of course, why he called her home instead of healing her. Two verses have helped me with that question. Ecclesiastes 10.14 says, No one knows what's coming. God may have taken her home to spare her from something awful that she might have experienced had she lived. And Isaiah 55.9 tells us that his ways are higher than our ways. If the Lord saw fit to take her home, who am I to question him? As I say, I still have waves of profound sadness, but when they come, I, I find that if I just stop and think about what Ellie's experiencing right now, indescribable joy and peace, no pain, no tears, with the Lord for eternity, that I too have peace. And I realize that she couldn't be in a better place. Lastly, while I don't think God's word says a whole lot about family reunions in heaven, I'm trusting that one day I will be re reunited with Ellie in some way, shape, or form. And that gives me great joy. Thank you. Thank you, Ron, for sharing that. I know that wasn't easy. So when we have uh, this special Sunday of sharing, sharing testimonies, you know, sometimes it feels like, well, shouldn't every testimony be this uh, great story of things were bad and then they were perfect? <laughs> but as we all know, as we walk this journey of life and the journey of faith, um, sometimes stories aren't like that, right? But what is so powerful um, about many of these testimonies that we hear on Testimony Sunday is that people go through difficult things and they, they find the Lord's presence in the midst of that hardship. And uh, Ron's, Ron's testimony is such a powerful example of that. And I'd like to invite up Ari. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, my name is Ari. I'm 13 years old, and I've been coming to St. Paul's for almost five years now. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Ryan asked me if I was willing to talk about my experience with the Angel Tree Ministry. I immediately jumped at the chance because I feel like this ministry has really helped me by opening my eyes. Last year, around this time, Pastor Ryan started talking about this new ministry the church was going to participate in to help children whose parents have been incarcerated. We would be buying presents for them and giving them to the kids as though we were the, for the incarcerated parents. I thought it was a great idea and was immediately excited about getting to buy presents. Then, Pastor Ryan said that not only would we be buying, the present, buying and wrapping the presents, but we would also get to deliver them to the actual families. We'd get a chance to meet them and talk to them. My excitement went up like 10 levels. I love the thought of being able to give to people who are less fortunate than me, and the thought of seeing their faces when they receive the presents. 
After church, I walked over to the Christmas tree that had all the kids' names on it and what they wanted for Christmas. I looked for a kid, and immediately one girl popped out to me. It was a girl who was the same age as me and wanted almost exactly what I would have wanted for Christmas. I picked her out and told my grandma that I wasn't, I wasn't just going to buy gifts for her. I was going to wrap and deliver them to her, too. So, later that week, we went shopping. And I think I had more fun picking out gifts for her than I would have picking out gifts for myself. I wanted to get her literally everything I could find in Five Below and TJ Maxx. But unfortunately, I was limited to five things. Soon after that, it was time to wrap the gifts people had donated. Now, I'm not the best gift wrapper. Whenever I try to wrap things, it kind of turns out looking like a two-year-old did it. So I mainly just put everything in bags and made the bags look nice. The stuff that needed to be wrapped, I gladly handed over to people who had much better wrapping techniques than I did. And since I insisted I had to be a part of the whole process, me and my grandma went to a training session for delivery. Basically, we met our team, and we were told what to say and when we got there to deliver the presents, and what to do when we met the families, and more stuff like that. Before I knew it, it was time to deliver the presents to the families. We were given two families, one family with two younger kids, and another family that had the girl I got presents for, and her younger brother. The first family we delivered presents to was a young mom who had two kids that were around one and four. We got there, and she welcomed us into her home. She immediately started crying. She was so grateful that we had given her presents that her kids were going to love. She told us how money had been really tight, and that before she heard about us, she wasn't sure if she was even going to be able to give her kids any presents for Christmas. But now they were going to get toys, and she no longer had to worry. She said she felt a weight being lifted off her chest. She was so extremely grateful, and after leaving the house, I felt so good that we were able to make her kids Christmas and that she no longer had to worry about getting them presents. The next house we went to was the girl I had personally picked out presents for, but I didn't know how much going to that house was going to affect me and open my eyes. We went up to this woman's house to drop off presents, and she met us outside, not wanting her kids to see the presents because she wanted them to be a surprise. She started crying and told us how much it meant to her that we were giving these presents to her kids. She told us how the, her daughter, the girl I picked out presents for, had been in and out of mental hospitals and self-help hospitals for the past year. She had been dealing with severe depression and self-harm. The mom said she didn't know if she was going to be able to afford presents for them, and she said she was dealing with so much stress and worry for her daughter, it didn't even feel like Christmas to her. She'd been under so much pressure from her job and trying to help her daughter get better. She told us that she was beyond grateful for these presents and that she now felt so blessed and grateful for all the kindness we had shown her. I went home later that day and started crying. I couldn't believe that this girl who was my age was dealing with so much grief and loss, and all I was doing was sitting here thinking about whether or not my parents were going to get me a new phone for Christmas and how much time before school started. All these things that I was worried about were a grain of sand compared to what they were going through. I mean, this girl didn't have her father in her life. She was dealing with an immense amount of pain and is going through rehab during Christmas time. I couldn't even imagine having to deal with all of that. I realized just how lucky I was, and it just made me want to help other people out. 
I'm so grateful overall for the Angel Tree Ministry for giving me this chance to really open my eyes. And I'm so grateful for our church for giving me this chance to participate in Angel Tree Ministry and for letting me buy, wrap, and deliver all of the presents, even though I was only supposed to do one. Thank you. That was great. You, uh, even though you are um, one of the youngest people in this room, you're a great example to us. That was beautiful. Um, one more testimony for this morning. I'd like to invite up Vicki Oldham. Good morning. I didn't know that I'd have to use a microphone or I probably would have said no. <laughs> um, I've been at St. Paul's for a long time. We went to Pennsylvania for almost four years, so that's why you're kind of seeing me come back. Okay. I have some scriptures that are really important to me that I would call my life verses. Some I've memorized, some are just there in concept and in practicality but I'd like to share them with you. The first one is Psalm 34.4. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Psalm 27. The Lord is the light and is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 116. I'll just read verse uh, 1 and 2, but... It's basically one through eight. It's a fabulous psalm. If you get a second this afternoon, you should read it. But I love the Lord because he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The chords of, um, so I'll stop there. <laughs> and then um, Romans 8, 38 and 39 is so significant to me. For I am convinced, I really am. That neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of, the, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious for anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. I um, want to give you a little bit of an overview of who I am and where I come from so that you can understand present day and uh, where we are now. But I was uh, born to a very poor rural family in upstate New York. Uh, we didn't really, we didn't have any running water. We gathered rain and rain barrels on the porch and uh, from nearby creeks and every once in a while the pump worked in the well. And so we had that. It was a very small farmhouse, and the only um, source of heat was a wood stove in the kitchen. And I was born the youngest of seven. My mother died when she was 36, 
and uh, she left behind seven kids, ages 7 to 17, with a father who was incapable of caring for himself, let alone seven kids. He suffered with manic depression and an addiction to alcohol. He was a very charismatic and fun and volatile and violent man. And I learned very early that I was neither planned nor wanted, and that it was better to be invisible than to be visible and targeted. Yet somehow, in the midst of all of this chaos, all of us kids found ourselves uh, on Sundays without parents in the small Methodist church on the hill. They would drop us off, and the church was beautiful. It was tiny. It had, tiny, it had um, stained glass windows and hard wooden pews. And uh, much to my shibling chagrin, uh, I responded to the altar call every single week. <laughs> Mostly I would just go up front and uh, kneel and oftentimes cry. Um, but I wanted, I would always look, there was a classic painting that hung behind the pulpit, and it was the picture of Jesus carrying the little lamb. And he always looked so gentle and strong and kind. And I knew somehow in my heart of hearts that I was that little lamb. So that's why 116 is so significant to me. I didn't have to be invisible to him. He heard my cry. He knew who I was. Um, and I will call on him as long as I live because he inclined his ear to me. He listened to me. Um, but after mom died, there was no more church. And things changed dramatically. I'd like to say they went from bad to better. They're good, but they didn't. Um, and it's all kind of a little bit unclear, but we were all shuffled around a lot, and um, then we three youngest ended up in a one-bedroom trailer um, with my dad, and the trailer smelled of kerosene. To this day, I have a hard time stomaching that smell. Um, I slept on the couch in the living room and was overwhelmed with feelings that I can now identify as fear. Um, fear of many things, fear of abandonment, fear of the dark, fear of loss, and a very thin and waning identity. As I grew, uh, eventually I went to live with my maternal grandmother, and um, they treated me very, very well. But when my mom died, she was an only child. So um, there was always this presence of just an overwhelming sense of, of loss in that household. It was a house of mourning. But anyway, as I grew, I became very wild and very impulsive, uh, constantly trying to fill an ache that I could only term as emptiness. Um, so in my early 20s, I began earnestly seeking spiritual things, anything from New Age philosophies to synagogues. Don't ever go to a synagogue if you've never been on Purim, okay? The whole congregation stands up and turns around. And then you have to follow different things. But anyway, synagogues and um, all kinds of uh, churches. And then finally, um, I just heard God call very, very clearly and landed in the arms of unconditional love in the arms of Jesus himself. So through much healing prayer, many, many sessions, and much counseling, um, God exchanged my shattered stone heart um, for a, start of, a heart of flesh. And he was merciful and kind, and he came into every painful, dark, and jagged memory and revealed himself present in it. 
and that I was carefully and lovingly planned and wanted by him. My identity was revealed as a dearly loved child of God. So I have behind me years of healing, years of gratitude, years of God being God and redeeming it all. Answers to prayer again and again, and he proved himself faithful in all things. Now today's story. A few weeks ago, I went to the emergency room because I was having severe pain in my left temple and having visual, visual changes. So I went to the emergency room thinking, oh, I'm having a stroke. Um, but I went, and much to my relief, I was not having a stroke. Um, but they did a CAT scan, and they found something that they didn't like the looks of, so they put me back in for an MRI, and I have a brain tumor. It is about the size of a strawberry, and it is um, an angioma, which is unusual. There's about 2,400 in the United States for where this is located. It is located around the pituitary and transverse the optic apparatus. So hence the visual changes and all that good stuff. Um, but. In the midst of this, they had sent me to an ophthalmologist because they thought maybe the flashes of light were a retinal tear, and it looked like that. But they sent me to a retinal specialist, and it wasn't. I had no retinal tear, uh, no holes, no nothing. So I didn't need laser surgery, which was wonderful. But they did find that I had a heart attack sometime between 2014 and now because my EKG showed up abnormal, and I had been having palpitations. So I need a cardiac workup. But because of God's faithful, loving presence in my life, I have no fear. I have no anxiety. His peace that really makes no sense, especially in, in view of this diagnosis, really um, reigns over my life. I trust who holds my future, who has walked me through all of my life and has never left me. I really do believe that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. No circumstance. He is the one who keeps my heart and my mind in perfect peace. Surgery is scheduled for December 20th. Um, and I, uh, probably you've gathered this, but I strongly believe in prayer. So I would appreciate if you would pray for me for a quick recovery. So maybe, maybe it'll be even better when I come out of there. <laughs> They'll arrange things a little bit differently um, for uncomplicated recovery. But I really um, want to stress one more time that I am... I know that the Lord hears us when we pray. I know he does. I've seen him answer prayer again and again and again for myself, for other people, in miraculous ways and in normal ways that you and I take as circumstance, and they really are not. They're the movement of God's hand in your life. So if you've ever thought that and have just dismissed it, don't. He does. He is aware and he does move, and he moves on our behalf.
but I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything in all creation, because remember, he is the creator. Nothing is greater than him. Will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thank you, Vicki. Uh, before you, before you leave, um, I just like to invite uh, one or two people, maybe who know know Vicky well, to uh, come up and lay hands on her shoulders. I'd like to offer uh, a prayer for her. Lord Jesus, we thank you for Vicki's powerful testimony of you bringing her um, from a place of uh, feeling just so uh, wounded and unwanted uh, to a place of knowing herself to be your daughter and a beloved uh, child of God, of you. Um, Lord, we thank you that she was drawn to that, that church and that she saw herself in that lamb that you were carrying in the stained glass window. Lord, we thank you for uh, redeeming all that pain in her life and bringing her to this place where she's encountering now another trial and yet in the midst of that trial, she has a peace that transcends understanding. Lord, we thank you for that powerful testimony. And Lord, we pray uh, for your healing touch to be on her. Lord, we want to see your resurrection power evident in her, not just in her spirit, although that's the most important thing, but we'd love to see that resurrection power evident in her body as well, her physical body. Lord, we pray for her um, a scheduled surgery on the 20th. Uh, we pray that you would work miracles through that. We pray that everything would go smoothly. And uh, Lord, we just, we just pray your blessing on her for, for health, for favor, and for peace. We thank you for her. In Jesus' name, amen.